Good morning, everyone. It's Charlie Sell, uh, Group MD for Arrows Group, here again with our Future Tech podcast series. A series aimed at STEM graduates, uh, soon to be entering the job market, where I am uh, interviewing, meeting, engaging uh, thought leaders, senior people within the technology space to find out a little bit more about their story, their thoughts on emerging technologies, and advice for graduates entering the job market. So really pleased to have David Lewis with me today. I've known David for ooh, probably six or seven years now. Um, a senior professional uh, technology and thought leader within both the public and private sector. So um, I'm sure there'll be some nice comparisons there on, on the technologies and thoughts about entering those fields. So welcome, David. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Yeah, great to have you on. How are you today? It's all right. Uh, it's a lovely morning and it looks like uh, we're going to have a lovely summer coming ahead of us. Aren't we just perfect for uh, the new working lifestyles that we're all having Indeed. to get used to. Indeed. So let's get cracking. A bit about your background, please. So I have come from the States. I'm originally American. Uh, my career has taken me from the startup land in San Francisco Bay Area, where I had the opportunity to start my career when really the internet thing was starting, and this is back in the early 90s. That was exciting, um, so much opportunity, and not very many people who knew the kind of field that we're in now. So the opportunity for 10 years of professional development in two or three years, because it was so intense. From there, I did a lot of work in um, South and Southeast Asia. Uh, I happened to have started the first uh, internet service provider in Sri Lanka as one of the little feathers in my cap. Uh, I landed back in um, the UK, joined my wife who was taking her PhD. And since then, I've been doing large scale digital transformation for some very large system integrators. And in the last four years or so, I've been working um, in senior technology levels within uh, government and the cabinet office. Fantastic. So yeah, like we said, pretty, pretty breadth from being in Asia all the way through to the UK and, and public and private. So any, you know, any lessons learned along the way when you've been looking at your career, what, what you're proud or came across your way or even bumps? So a lot of my career was in startup land. So very early stage, either myself starting something or one of the early people involved. Um, the one time Regret isn't the right word, because everything is a learning experience and you need to focus on it from that perspective. But a partner and I were investing a lot of money to start a company right around 2000 when you might be aware that the, call it the dot bomb happened. Yeah. Uh, everything in the internet, uh, online industry kind of collapsed for a few years. We made the hard decision to let go of the investment uh, and to not progress with the company because we were sure that if we did get invested in, uh, we would have lost the company immediately because we'd have given everything away. So that was a very difficult and frankly, very expensive learning. Uh, and looking back on it now, I wouldn't be the person I am today if that hadn't happened. So I have to put everything into that kind of context. Yeah. Well, and that's really interesting, isn't it, actually? Because I think today's job market in, 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 uh, in the industry, people no longer have jobs forever. It's not one job forever, is it? It's, it's actually moving and learning from each job to what it brings you to your next one, whether you're starting a, a new business and then moving into private or public sector or the other way around. Any thoughts, you know, because you've looked at both private and public, what are the big differences working within those two different sectors? So Charlie, 
I want to come back to that in a moment, if you don't mind. Okay. I do want to talk about the idea that there was a job for life. And I would say in my parents' time, your parents' time, there was. Um, in technology in particular, especially if you're hands-on technologist, staying in, a, in one company, one area, um, is tends to be career limiting, shall we say, because you get stuck in thinking about a way of doing things with that specific company. So if I were to speak directly to the STEM graduates coming up, I would really look at how you want to frame your career. Three or four years, focus on the active learning that you can get. And then, and frankly, the moment you're not getting that, then you have a conversation with the leadership of your company and say, this is what I need to continue growing. If they're not amenable to that, I think it's, have, it's time to have a conversation on, on thinking about what's next for you. Yeah. So coming back to the actual question, Charlie, on um, public versus private. <clears throat> so I'm in the UK government for the last four or five years now. And in some ways, because of government digital services, the digital transformation in government is actually ahead of um, private sector. <clears throat> and UK government has really set the bar extremely high on what digital and technology looks like uh, for a government. So many of the things that GDS, Government Digital Services, has done in the past has create standards, create guidance, create the technology code of practice, um, which would be on gov.uk. So these things all roll out and many of the countries uh, that we work with um, go and use them because they're all open source. So that's a really exciting thing. So you're creating something that is actually driving transformation um, from your own code in many cases throughout the world. So that's pretty exciting for UK government. Uh, the flip side is the way that government, and I can only speak to UK as my direct experience, but the government's focused on um, a breakdown of the departments. So you have UK government, which you and I as citizens see, but in actuality, that's HMRC, that's DVLA, that's DWP, that's the Home Office, that's all these different entities that have their own funding, but they have their own technology choices that in many cases go back 30, 40, 50 years. And as a result of that, the amount of what we call technical debt that government has taken is monstrous. And not only that, but we've seen in the COVID, uh, because of COVID pandemic, that the ability for ministers to talk across their departmental boundaries easily, effectively, and make decisions when they're not in person, because you couldn't be in person over the last four or five months, proved almost impossible initially. <clears throat> so there's a massive effort now to ensure that we have interoperability across these um, technology towers. It would be bonkers, entirely bonkers, for us to suggest that we go and create one IT stack for government yeah. at this point with billions and billions of pounds of um, invested uh, monies. So in the one hand, digital services that are customer facing, that are citizen facing, are excellent and improving. Uh, and on the flip side of that, services that help us as a government to work together uh, need a lot of work. So, for example, we know that places like GSK, um, GlaxoSmithKline, Barclays, and some of the other banks had similar challenges, but they have dealt with those challenges uh, more assertively because they frankly can, um, because it's not a federated distributed decision-making yeah. system that we have in government. I hope that's a helpful um, no, I think that's really interesting because are you saying then that almost the technology stack within each department is completely different as well? There's the autonomy per HMRC versus DVLA. They can actually build their infrastructure, their technology in absolutely their own, you know, 
strategy and plan rather than having to share or have a similar guideline to, to how they build. Yeah. So that, that has been historically the case. Um, and cr let's just say creative interpretation of security guidelines. So everyone is looking at it from their own security and knowledge information perspective. And people have made some significantly, in many cases, polar opposite decisions um, and interpretations on what the security guidelines say. So there's a concerted effort now to say, these are security guidelines. This is actually what it means and what you, technology department and technology group in a department must do in order to meet these standards that will not only increase and improve your security stack, but also enable it for me, us, us to be open so that we can actually have a proper conversation and have documents flowing back and yeah. forth in a secure um, and more to the point to see, see as seamless fashion as possible. Yeah. So we're yeah. trying to limit the amount of overlay that I as a user have to have. Um, so doing kind of the hard work under, under, the, under the covers of that to make it easy for our business users. So we're taking the pain as the technology groups uh, and the investment to say, right, now policy person, now minister, now permanent secretary, you can actually go off and do your work as you need to without having to think about your tech because we shouldn't yeah. be, have, people shouldn't be having to think about their tech. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I remember when I entered um, the industry in 2004, 2005, and there was a national program for IT at the time, which was the, the government incentive trying to build that, that one platform. And, and I think billions were spent on it in the end, but ultimately it, I think it failed because the counties, the local areas were so independent and weren't collaborative and, and to try and create one sort of national framework, you know, was, was very, very tough. Well, actually, Charlie, it's, I was really just talking about central government. Yeah. <laughs> then you have local, then you have Met and Fire, and you have NHS, all of which have exactly had the same conversations with themselves, yeah. and now are all going servicing on, well, we have to talk to each other. Can we get economies of scale in our purchasing power as government? Well, until we kind of hone down our technical technology decisions, no. And how are we going to, what is the guidance we're going to do to help to resolve that so government has a bit more... Um, let's just say purchasing power to drive down our costs and also increase our ability to meet our civil servants needs as well as our um, citizens needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a fascinating and, and labyrinth uh, job I can imagine. So thinking about graduates entering, you know, both if they wanted to get into the public sector from an IT perspective, is there any common routes or, or advice you would, you would offer someone? Sure. So there's the um, government has what's called a fast stream. So if you look up fast stream on gov.uk, anyone coming in from the from university can apply to the fast stream. I don't recall if it's um, university graduates only. I, I can't recall, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but the way that works is that anybody from any profession can apply to that. And it gives you a very quick route into the, into the civil servant. The way it works is if you're accepted, then you drop, then you airdrop into different types of activities, different types of departments mm -hmm. um, every six to nine months. And at the end of that, you come out at very comparatively senior level after four or five years. So it's essentially a, literally a fast track to becoming a senior civil servant. Uh, and it's designed, that is the one main mechanism designed to bring in um, the best and the brightest from the market. <clears throat> and that so that applies to non, both STEM and non-STEM um, graduates coming in. Yeah, because I was about to say is that 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 is that would include STEM graduates as much Correct. as people studying absolutely you know, um, other academia. Fantastic. So the other thing to be aware of there's um the 
data framework, data digital and technology framework um, was built by GDS, uh, Government Digital Service, and is now being used as the baseline for against which we hire uh, and benchmark staff coming in, technology staff coming into government. So if you're interested, uh, if you just do a search for DDAT framework on gov.uk, uh, you can see the different types of job families, whether it's product development or core delivery or architecture, and there's lots of different, um, I don't remember exactly the number of role types that we have up there. Yeah, well, that's really interesting and that's really helpful. So moving on to emerging technologies then and, and, and future job roles, looking, understanding both sides of, as I said, private, public, you work for global Italian consultancies and, and, and like you said, in Asia and everywhere else. Um, what's your thought on the emerging technology side, the latest skills coming through? So I guess part of that comment is it depends on what the individual wants to do. Um, people who are core developers, should be focusing on full stack rather than a specific becoming expert anything because the full stack uh, is increasingly showing itself as, as the important bit. What a developer will have to do the front end often will have to do the back end often will have to do the database, et cetera. So there is a whole piece on making sure if you're a core tech to have a good balanced understanding of tools that you use, uh, infrastructural environments like AWS or um, G Cloud or sorry, the Google Cloud or um, Microsoft Azure as an example. <clears throat> so the other areas that I think are really interesting um, are going to be focused on what's happening in government buildings, well, buildings in general, excuse me, because the amount of technology that we're going to need to put into buildings to make the buildings safe and seamless for individuals uh, is increasing. So there's a lot of integration at work happening in the back end there. There's lots of new different types of sensors. It's a whole greening environment, greening aspect of technology that's related to buildings. So buildings are something like eight or nine percent of uh, the UK's emissions. Uh, I don't right. remember exactly the number, something like that. So the interesting things are to look at full stack, how you can be involved in some of that greening types of environments. And then for role types, I personally, this is now purely my opinion, um, Charlie. I think that as AI develops over the next three to five years, we as technologists have to, have, I, we may end up in a situation where we've got to seriously consider our skill set because I think we're coming up to an edge where AI is going to be able to build its own technology from scratch. Right, I think we're right. already there in many cases. Um, so there's a wind of change coming up that's going to, I think that's going to hit us techs who thought we were immune to that. So we need to be conscious of that and look and be careful of what the trends are in the market. However, that also has opened up some really interesting opportunities that are we don't see today. I think there's going to be a new role type that is a an expansion of the what we would call a tech a business or a product manager, a business product manager, to become a full stack product manager. So someone, a human, is going to have to effectively interpret and communicate to, let's just call it the AI for lack of terminology, the business requirements. Otherwise, the AI is going to create something that we as techs have done for years, not really talk to the business, not really figure out, and create something beautiful that no one needs. Yeah. So there is going to be some significant, really interesting role types opening up along that. I think so there's going to be a lot more of architectural, end-to-end um, -end architectural things along those lines, tuning of systems and databases. 
but more importantly that some people who can sit smack in the Venn diagram between core technology and business, um, that's always been a hugely important role. I think those roles will be increasingly important for the next five to 10 years. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's, it's one thing that we see continually is, it, for me, it's not just about the, the, the traditional business analyst or project manager, program manager, but actually those communication skills yes. are needed across the board, aren't they? Nowadays, from a developer through to um, a, a business analyst, your ability to understand business requirements and translate that into the, the technical spec or, or the framework but those, those pinch points in the middle um, and being able to translate technical language into plain English has always been a desired skill, I think, which, which uh, you know, hopefully is improving when, when you think about graduates coming through. Yeah. So the other thing I would suggest to anyone coming into technology or frankly any career is as early as you can identify uh, a mentor, um, friend who's been in in the area you want to be in and can kind of give you pointers and guidance. <clears throat> I've also found that that doesn't necessarily need to be someone in your own work environment, although very often that helps as someone who can shepherd you through some of the loophole, uh, some of the pitfalls within a specific organization. But finding someone that you can build a long-term relationship with, you can give a ring and say, hey, it's Kevin Coffee, I'm kind of hit a wall on a technical problem or I've hit a wall on something going on at the office. I honestly wish that I'd had a bit more of that in my career. And where I'm at now, Charlie, is actually being in the position, having had 25, 30 years experience to giving some of that back. And I think yeah. that's, that's one of the reasons I was excited about having this conversation. So I would really, really suggest that you find a strong mentor um, or even better, a suite of mentors that you can just kind of keep eyes on you as sort of looking after you um, over the development of your career. Yeah, and again, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and on that point, anyone listening to this podcast, this is part of what we can all do is, is offer those introductions and connections. So, so I think we can always make a point of reaching out. And, and like you said, David, if you're always open to that, you know, we can we can encourage. We should encourage that from the from the next graduate pool coming through. Absolutely. And so, last question: thinking about future roles, and, and we've we've talked a lot of you talked about AI, which again I couldn't agree with you more. And machine learning, deep learning, even the sort of the data scientist, data engineering aspects that supports AI. Absolutely. Have you thought? Have you got any thoughts about what you know? Any further thoughts around the the, the future job markets? We've talked about flexibility and skills, the polyglot whole mm -hmm. sort of theory. But any any sort of last thoughts on? When you're thinking five years time, what the job market might look like, um, any other roles out there or, or functions for people to aim towards? So I was saying, um, rather than looking at role types, I would actually looking at look at your rounded experience as a as a human, which also then helps you professionally. So owning that middle of the Venn diagram between business and being able to talk to the world and your core technology skills. Frankly, that's my superpower. And most of the people who've grown and into technology leadership, that is the single superpower yeah. because technologists very often do not have the, the language repertoire to speak with the business and vice versa. That's the key skill because um, otherwise technology will continue to deliver things that it thinks is great, but don't mean in the business needs. So, I would focus on wrapping I mean, developing that wider, broader skill set. Uh, and that's where I think the mentoring comes back in. 
Right. So in addition to that, anything that is related to greening and <clears throat> dealing with the um, climate emergency that we've got around us, all those types of technology is going to change. So that's going to impact um, core tech uh, from the digital development side, but it's also going to impact um, new industries that come up entirely. So lots of greening industries. And then the other part of this, which we haven't really touched on, is the aspect of digital transformation. So there are a huge number of industries that are still in the 70s and 80s and could use, could benefit from a unique development approach to how they want to pivot to become less carbon impactful. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of digital trans, continue to be lots of digital transformation opportunities out there. So those are the things that I would be um, considering if I were coming into the industry now. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, thank you. And, and you know, what, what a probably a perfect place to sort of wrap up with those sort of three or four key points uh, for, for anyone listening, for all the people listening to the programme. So David, well, look, thank you. That was really, really interesting. Really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Charlie. It's, um, it's always a pleasure to have these conversations. Yeah, great. So that's another series of uh, the Future Tech podcast series. Um, the link to the full um show or uh is going to be in the comments box below um these these snippets that we're going to be sending out and until the next time thank you everyone thank you david cheers charlie